This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to the Historical Yarns Podcast, the show where we talk about knitting from the past and bring it into the present. Welcome to episode two of season one of the Historical Yarns Podcast. I'm Rachel Roden. And I'm Heather Boyd. And this is the History of Shetland Knitting, part two. So in the last episode, we talked about the origins of Shetland knitting and a little bit about the different types of shawls, especially the most well-known examples of the craft. So today we'll be delving more into the specific construction methods and the stitches used in this particular type of lace. Yeah, and part of the reason why we started with Shetland is because, of course, the Nilong project is a Shetland shawl or inspired by Shetland stitches. So we really wanted to get to this stuff early on in the season because you're going to be doing some of these things, especially later on. Or perhaps you've already started. Or perhaps you've already started. Maybe you're one of those speedy knitters who knits a shawl in a week, <laughs> unlike me. And in that case, we hate you. Just kidding. Yes. We love you. Oh, well, there might be a little bit of hate. It's, it's like all wrapped up together. <laughs> There's a little jealousy. Yeah, a little jealousy. There you go. <laughs> okay, so the stitches, the Shetland style stitches, they were very inspired by nature. So they all have names like cat's paw and fern and leaf and stuff like that. And then, of course, those shapes that they create are look like the things like the fern leaf is one of my favorites. And there's also a fur cone one as well. And they look like those things. It's they're so cool. So pretty. And then there's some other ones that I really, really enjoy, too, because they kind of like make me laugh a little bit. And they also make me mentally construct a story. So <laughs> there's one called Mrs. Montague stitch. And <laughs> I'm like, who's Mrs. Montague? Like, it's just like a diamond stitch, right? A, a, a eyelet diamond stitch. And I'm like, I want to know who Mrs. Montague was and like how she got ownership of this, you know, fairly common lace stitch. I think it's yeah, you see it all the time. So, yeah. but it's Mrs. Montague's. And her name goes down in history. It does. For yeah. What reason? Why was her name still stuck to it? Oh, Why didn't I don't they know. just call it the diamond or whatever? <laughs> Who knows? She I don't know. A there's some, there's a couple other ones that aren't. I'm not remembering them right now, but they clearly. Um, well, it just shows that the history of these stitches, they're very tied to different families and individuals. And, you know, they shared a lot in between them. But like, I think that often when you learn to stitch from somebody else, you're like, oh, yeah, that stitch from Mrs. Montague. Remember it? Mm -hmm. and, and maybe she had a school. Or maybe. Who knows? Or maybe she was just a saucy lady. Yeah, I, have, <laughs> I have a new goal in life, Rachel, and it is to have a knitting stitch named after you me. Want the, you want the Mrs. Boyd stitch? <laughs> Mrs. Boyd. Mrs. Boyd stitch. We can make one if you want. <laughs> That would be fun. I love it. I love it so much. Oh. I, I just would love to have met those ladies because they were already so enterprising with their their shawls and their cottage industry and supporting their families and everything. And then to also like have her name, have us still be talking about mm -hmm. it 100, 150 years later. I think that's so cool. Anyway, yeah. So that's those are some of the stitches. That's the uh, inspiration. It's very nature and nature inspired and things like that. Mm-hmm. The stitches themselves are on a garter stitch foundation. And what's interesting about that is the purl stitch was not invented until later on. Purl basically is just the reverse of a knit stitch, of course. And for some reason, nobody thought of doing a purl stitch 
um, until later on, like later in the 1800s, I think. So the reason that you know that Shetland is an older style of knitting is because it's all on a garter stitch foundation because they just simply didn't purl. They just, they just you're didn't not do it. a knitter. Garter means all knit stitches yes. on both sides of the fabric. Yeah. Every stitch is knit. So and I love garter. That's part of the reason why I chose to do a Shetland shawl, because garter is just the squishiest fabric. And I think that the Shetland wool in particular is really perfect for garter stitch because it just is so squishy and airy and lofty. So it's also so variable because depending on what tension you knit at, if you knit it, say a very tight tension for garter, you can it'll look like ridges. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you knit it at a very loose tension, it looks different. And that's where a lot of Shetland shawls are Mm -hmm. knit at a slightly looser tension. So they it really opens everything up and makes it look like sort of that cobweb style that you think yep. of when you think of very fine lace shawls. Yeah, it's interesting how different that texture can be. That, I don't know. I think that's why it's my favorite stitch because it is so versatile in that mm-hmm. way. And then I, I was watching this cool video by Galena Kamel... Oh man, I'm going to massacre her last name. Galena Kameleva? Sure. Sure. Let's go with that. Kamal- She's Russian, of course, Kamaleva, as her name implies. Kamaleva, right? Kamaleva, sure. Is it on the penultimate syllable when it's uh, Russian? It might be. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I literally just watched her video, too, and I can't remember how she pronounced it. I'm horrible. I'm supposed to be a language student. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 15 years, y'all. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. <laughs> anyway, um, she's, she's an expert in lace and stuff, and she was saying that she... I, this is really interesting to me that she actually recommends joining these yarns with either a square knot or um, spit splicing. Mm-hmm. I've because, heard of the spit splicing before. Yeah, but I'll explain that knot. in just a second. But it's I think this is really the key part is because there's so many yarn overs in lace knitting mm-hmm. that if you just drop one and then start knitting with the other and then maybe weave in those ends later or kind of do like a crisscross thing where like one's going one direction, one's going the other direction, but don't ever tie a knot mm-hmm. or spit splice or anything. The yarn overs, the way they pull on the fabric can actually like totally undo that end. Yeah. Yeah. And you end up with a big old hole in your knitting. So it's really hard to weave in ends around yarn overs. It is. It's like there's nothing there to weave into. Yeah, exactly. Even if you knit it in as you go, like it could still undo itself. Mm -hmm. So square knot is is good of course i don't personally like knots because what if it ends up like on a yarn over i think it's too visible Mm -hmm. um but spit splicing is super great it sounds gross but just keep in mind that you don't have to use your spit. <laughs> you just need liquid. <laughs> so wash it later. Spit does work best. Well, I'm does sure it? Yeah. that experts disagree you call on this. True. this. Maybe, they did, maybe it does. I've done it with water. I've also done it with spit because like, come on, sometimes you don't want to get up off the couch and get some damn water. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're going to wash it after. Come on. Yeah, it'll be fine. Um, so anyway, you basically get the two ends of the the old yarn and the new yarn to get the two ends wet with your spit. <laughs> and then you... <laughs> And then you loop them around each other and you kind of fold one. Okay. How am I going to describe this? You, you fold the one end around the other and then you double it back on itself and then yeah. do the same with the other end. So they're connected in the middle, like they're looped around each like other. Two hooks. Yeah. Like two hooks. And then you just use the friction from your hands to rub them mm-hmm. together. And with lace yarn, that's often all you need. If you're using a heavier yarn, you might need to like rub it against your leg or mm-hmm. something like that to get enough friction. But And usually with these natural yarns, the whole piece is going to develop a sort of halo later. Mm-hmm. So you won't really notice anywhere you splice things together. Yeah, you won't even, see it. I bet even knots t- pulled tightly enough would you know, be probably mostly not. Disguised, but mm-hmm. I feel the same way Rachel does. Mm-hmm. Actually, like I don't tie knots in my knitting. I also don't trust myself I have been to burned do it well. really yeah. badly by things. <laughs> knots will come out if they want to. Yeah, I mean, I know how to tie a square knot, but like 
I still don't trust myself to I do either. it. Correctly. And you know what? If I do it, I take a little bit of fabric glue and I glue the knot. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't love tell that. anyone I've ever knitted anything for. <laughs> but I never would, but I love that. If you find a lump in your knitting, <laughs> it's because I care about you and I don't want this stuff to unravel. It's better than a hole, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, real talk on knots in our yard. <laughs> By Rachel and Heather. <laughs> oh my God, that's great. Okay, so I wanted to go over lace knitting versus knitted lace really quick too. Um, lace, knitting, lace knitting is where your patterning is on alternate rows, meaning you're knit two together, your yarn over, stuff like that. And you have a rest row in between on your wrong side where you're just purling all the stitches or knitting all the stitches or whatever the pattern calls for. That's lace knitting. Knitted lace which I realize is just reversing the order of those two words. But it means so much. But it means so much. (laughs) Knitted lace is where you have patterning on both sides. So you're going to be doing yarn overs, knit knit two togethers, whatever, on both sides Mm -hmm. of the work. Also known as non-TV knitting. Not at all (laughs) safe for TV knitting or having children around or husbands who insist on talking to you while you're trying to knit, like whatever the case may be. That's why I never do it. That's why I never do it. That's why I never do it. (laughs) So that's something to keep in mind. And it's another way to know if a style of knitting is old or new because because knitted lace tends to be older because you'll see both in both in Shetland in, spe- in particular, you will see both knitted lace and lace knitting. Some of the newer forms won't have knitted lace. Okay. Uh-huh. So they right. made it a little easier over time. Though? I think it's because they're stockinette based. Mm-hmm. So they have pearl rest rows on the backside, oh. um, like Estonian. When we get to Estonian next, they... Okay. Um, They've got those pearl rest rows Mm -hmm. and they don't, there's no, there's no knitted lace in Estonian. Hmm. It's the other way. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, moving on to the shapes and construction techniques of Shetland shawls. You can get many different shapes, of course, but primarily you're going to see square, triangle, rectangular, scarfs, of course, stoles, that sort of thing. It seems in my research that every family, every community, everybody sort of had their own way of doing things and they did them slightly differently. There doesn't seem to be like one particular shape that defines it. You mm-hmm. so you can see all kinds of different shapes. And a lot of times you'd see the big square ones mm-hmm. worn folded in half. Right? Yeah. And they're the kind that you would see used as baby blankets mm-hmm. and christening blankets and then veils even. Veils. Yeah. Because yeah. they're, you know, the larger ones are a little more versatile, but I mm-hmm. guess the triangular ones, which are just like half squares. Mm-hmm. So big isosceles triangles. Is that right? Or are they scaling? Uh, equilateral, right? Right. I don't know. I don't know. Math. Oh my gosh. Okay, anyway, you can cut this part out. (laughs) But (laughs) where we sound dumb about math. Right angle triangles. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Anyway, they are basically just like half a square. Yeah. That can be worn just up around the shoulders. Yeah, just draped right over your shoulders. With the same sort of motifs. Now, but the construction Mm -hmm. to actually start them would be different, right? Because in the squares, you'd start in the middle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for the triangles, I think they would cast on all the stitches along the long edge Mm -hmm. and then just decrease down to the point. Okay. Which is a little different than how triangular shawls are constructed like in modern times. Mm-hmm. You see a little bit like that center out triangle mm-hmm. uh, construction. I didn't really see any of that in. But I think that's because it's hard to make the stitch patterns work yeah. in that kind of a, a construction. So mm-hmm. 
squares and rectangles are definitely the easiest. So I understand why they stuck with those. So the construction basically went like this. You had a center section, which was usually square, or if it's a rectangular stole, it might be rectangular. Um, and then you have the sort of inner border, which would go all the way around. And then you'd have the outer border, which was like the lacy, wavy edging that you see on those shawls a lot. And then there's different ways to construct them. Like the center, it could be garter, just like a plain garter center, or sometimes it had a lacy patterning. I think that the plain garter ones were the the haps more, like Mm -hmm. the everyday shawls that they would wear. Whereas the lacy patterning um, was on the ones that they were like selling to Mm -hmm. all those upper class ladies. So that was the center. And then the inner border, I thought this was really interesting because they didn't have circular needles back then, obviously. They were originally knit in like four trapezoidal shaped panels. And then they would graft them together at the corners and also on the edges like around the shawl. Like a lot of grafting was happening to Mm -hmm. get these pieces all um, connected together. Oh, that's so odd to me. I've only ever knitted on as I went. Yeah. Well, that's how they would do the final section, the mm-hmm. lace edge, that outer border, that one, they, because they would, um, cast on stitches at the end and then they would knit that on all the way around. Mm-hmm. So they'd have live stitches going all the way around and they would knit it on as they went. And you'd have to do like a mitered corner or whatever when you mm-hmm. turn the corner. And um, they had a couple different ways that they would do that kind of thing. But so it makes sort of that fancy edge that you can block out to points. And- yep. Yeah. Um, but of course, modern knitters have found ways around grafting and seaming because it's like, we're lazy. Yeah, it's the last thing we want to do ever. So <laughs> you can pick up stitches and stuff like that. And I think they would pick up stitches sometimes too. It does seem like I read actually conflicting things about that. Some some of the sources I read said they picked up stitches all the time. Some said that they grafted everything. So mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of conflict Probably, there. Yeah, they, I think they did a had their bit. own way, I'm mm-hmm. sure, you know. And can you imagine being that person who discovered like, hey, I can knit this on as I go. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> you must have felt like like Archimedes. It's like magical. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Eureka. <laughs> like, look at all this time I saved. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the basic construction and you'd get different things like a stole might have like four center panels. So they're not really center, but they're like the whole construction of it will be like panels across and then just have the lacy edging. Maybe it won't go all the way around. Sometimes it did. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of different ways to construct them, but the basics is the square in the middle or rectangle and then the inner border and then that outer border. Mm-hmm. So they're mostly right angles at the corners and stuff. Geometric yeah. shapes, but with right angles. Yep. If it's not a right angle, <laughs> it's, it's a, a wrong, wrong angle. angle. <laughs> <laughs> That's, awful. That's from my husband. Oh my God. I think he told me that like the first week we got together. I'm like, okay, I know what I'm getting into here. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you knew you were going to marry him. Uh-huh. Mine mooned me. Oh no. That's my first glimpse. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, so the last thing I wanted to talk about just was like sort of how they treated the shawls after they were done with them, what they did to them. We already talked a little bit about the color, how they would bleach them white or dye them using natural dyes if that's what they wanted to do. All that, of course, happened after the knitting was done, which I think is really interesting because that's totally opposite of how we do it now. Um, and then they also had a pretty, um, you've got a pretty specific 
blocking procedure to get them into the shape because it's just going to look like a pile of fabric when you get done with Mm -hmm. it. Um, But they had these blocking frames that they would use. And um, it sounded like they were almost like puzzle pieces that you could stick together in whatever um, shape. Yeah, square, rectangular, whatever you needed it to be. And then they have these pegs set every inch or so all the way around the edge. And you would basically pull out each little point on the, um, the lace edging in, onto those pegs mm-hmm. and then set it out to dry. And the wooden frame would lift it up off the ground a little bit um, because this is all happening outside. And that would allow the air to flow under and over it to mm-hmm. get it to dry pretty quickly. And then you wouldn't, your precious shawl wouldn't be in the dirt or anything mm-hmm. either. So I'm actually really fascinated by these yeah. blocking frames. I think That's they're amazing. really cool. Yeah. And for non-knitters, blocking is a way of stretching out and setting your lace yeah. to where it stays in the shape that you've worked so hard to knit mm-hmm. um, until the next time you get it wet. So yep. Everybody says that lace looks ugly when you first when you finish mm-hmm. knitting it. It's just like a lumpy bunch of holes. It is. It, yeah, it really is. <laughs> You're like, did I really want all these holes in my knitting? <laughs> but you got you to gotta get it wet and then pull it out and really like let that shape set before you have the beautiful finished object. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that is it for um, the construction and stitches and such in Shetland lace knitting. So now we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to go on to the next section of knitting for the Zetland Knit Along. Welcome back to episode two. Uh, today we're going to talk about casting on for the Zetland shawl and also um, the first section. So if you haven't grabbed your copy of the shawl yet, it's the Zetland shawl, Z-E-T-L-A-N-D. You can get it on Ravelry. And if this is your first time um, listening, then you might want to go back and listen to the first episode where we give you some information about gauge and yarn choice and stuff like that. All right. So jumping in. So when you cast on for this shawl, um, I recommend using a crochet circle method or it's I've heard it called the Emily Ocker cast on mm-hmm. as well. Um, it's a really cool cast on. And what it does is it allows you to cast on in the center in in a circle without having that giant hole that you would get if you just did a regular mm-hmm. cast on. Because you're basically making a slip ring mm-hmm. that you cast on your number of stitches and then you tighten the ring yes. to make it as small as you need. Right? Yeah. I don't know much about crochet. So what I didn't know is that this is a pretty typical thing for crocheters to do, I mm-hmm. guess, when you're casting on for crochet in the round. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is so cool how you can just like pull it super tight and then it cinches right up in the middle. Now, sometimes you might want a big hole in the middle, too, because like it might suit the pattern. But in this case, I decided to make it a closed circle. Um, And we'll link to a video on how to do this in the show notes as well, because I think it is a method that is worth learning if you don't know how to do it. Um, Anyway, so that is the the cast on method. And we haven't really talked too much about the construction yet, but basically um, the construction of this shawl is that you start in the middle with just very few stitches and then you build out in... um, a square shape from there and then once you get the square big enough we're going to work the two wings in different directions so um, it's definitely not traditional construction not traditional Shetland at all mm-hmm. um, but my inspiration was to try to like bring some modern shapes and construction techniques into the pattern mm-hmm. while still using the traditional stitch patterns so that's kind of what I was going for with this design mm-hmm. 
And if you've never done a sort of center out shawl like this, it's a really good technique to learn and something mm-hmm. you'll probably fall in love with because there's a lot of possibilities. Because mm-hmm. like Rachel is saying, even though you start with a circle, you'll be on a circular ne- needle at first, but you'll be making a square. Mm-hmm. And she'll tell you exactly how in the pattern mm-hmm. um, instructions. And then you'll pick up on either side of that square. And s- well, the, li- the stitches stay live. So like so you, you just you like just... cruise right into the wings when, okay. you, when you split. Yeah. And then you'll start knitting back and forth to mm-hmm. make the wings um, and start on a rectangular shape. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there are a lot of possibilities. And um, yeah, like last year I designed a shawl um, that called Drums of Autumn um, that is a circle in the middle. It's like a circle medallion, which was the same um, start to it where you start with a very few stitches in the middle. And then in that situation, you just made a circle instead. And I don't know. I just think it's so neat to start from the center and move out because you you could do lots of cool things. Like you could use a gradient yarn if you wanted Mm -hmm. um, and have a gradient that starts in the center and, and fades out to the two sides. So starting in the center like that gives you some really interesting options Mm -hmm. so I like doing that now if you were using a gradient yarn how Mm -hmm. would you do that to get the gradient on both sides of the shawl I think what you would need to do is um, have an even number of skeins or balls Mm -hmm. and then you would want to alternate two of them in the middle so that you are equally using up the yarn from two of the skeins meaning they will presumably be at the same spot in the gradient when you're ready to split off and do Mm -hmm. the two sides and then from there you can um, knit the the two sides separately, you know, mm-hmm. with, with their separate balls, mm-hmm. but that should preserve the gradient so that it's um, the same on both yeah. sides. And super yeah. convenient if you actually buy a gradient set to mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's more ends to weave in, but you can yeah. really tailor how, where your gradients start more with mm-hmm. those um, of mini yeah. skeins, gradient sets of mini skeins. I didn't think about that yeah, before, but yeah, you that, could do it that yep, way. Yep, you totally could. Yeah. Yep. And it would be a really nice like centerpiece. Could you see like a, almost like a sunset color, you know, Mm -hmm. like starting in the middle and then fading off. That would look really cool. That would look gorgeous. Um, Anyway, so yep, that is the cast on method. It is a little bit different than usual, but once you learn it, you will uh, definitely see how neat it is to know that. And also good for crochet too. So, you know, it's a, it's a multi, multi useful skill. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Okay. So then after you are done with your cast on, oh, and the other thing I'll say about this cast on Um, I did recommend in the materials that you get double pointed needles to do this. This is a personal choice. If you are really great with magic loop or two circular needles, you could absolutely do it that way. I found that the cords got in my way and just made me mad. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I switched over to DPNs. I did, I did my first, I don't know, I increased out until they were just getting too big for the DPNs and then I switched over to mm-hmm. a circular but well you wouldn't want to do a lot of pulling on these center stitches too yeah because you don't want them to look sloppy or stretched out mm-hmm. so the double points I think are the yeah. best route to make sure that you don't overly pull on your stitches like you could mm-hmm. with sliding a cord through them multiple times like you would with magic loop. yeah and I would even go so far as to say get bamboo or wood double pointed needles because they will hold your stitches a little bit better mm-hmm. they're just stickier mm-hmm. metal um tends to slide right out so mm-hmm. I would even go as far as saying that but again you know you're in charge of your own knitting do do what you like to do but um that would be my recommendation 
So once you are all cast on and set, you'll move into the first section. And uh, like we have mentioned, you are knitting this the whole first section in the round and you're in increasing in quadrants, which are going to make a square. And that is all um, charted and written out in the pattern. So you can choose which way you prefer to knit. Um, but both options are there. And um, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. It is a lace pattern. So... You know, if you're having trouble keeping track of your repeats, you can definitely throw a stitch marker in between. It's not a traveling lace pattern, so it'll stay um, in like all the increases and decreases stay in the same spot so that you can use um, stitch markers without a problem. Mm -hmm. And do you want to tell them how to use a lifeline real quick? Oh, yeah, lifeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I especially recommend lifeline for newer knitters. Um, but if what you would do with a lifeline is um, if you have interchangeable needles, if you're using interchangeable needles that have a hole in them, you just thread um, a piece of either like thin cotton yarn or um, unwaxed dental floss if you happen to have it or think about picking it up at the grocery store next time you're there. Thread that through the hole in your interchangeable needle and then knit a row. Usually um, a wrong side or um, an off pattern row is best to do that because then you're not trying to also do lace stitches at the same time. And it'll drag the um, lifeline through all of your stitches as you go. So um, when you're done with that row, you'll have this like line of dental floss or skinny cotton yarn or or thread even mm -hmm. going through your stitches and what that'll do is it'll um you can knit you keep going keep knitting but that row will be marked with that thread and if you make a mistake further along down the line and you're not sure what you did and you can't fix it um you can pull you'll pull your needles out and rip it all the way back but that thread will catch those stitches and stop them from falling mm -hmm. and make it really easy to pick it back up and put it on the needles mm -hmm. so Basically, what it does is it it's gives like a you a safety net. Yeah, it's like a safety net, and it gives you a point where you know you have the pattern correct, you have no mistakes. Um, and if you need to get back to a spot where you know that you're good, it'll give you the ability to rip back to that point without the stress of picking the stitches back up. Okay. Um, and you can do it if you don't have interchangeables, you can do it just by like a needle and thread too, just mm -hmm. thread it through the stitches. Mm -hmm. So that works as well. Oh, but don't get your stitch markers. <laughs> <laughs> with a lifeline have you ever done oh, that before if no. you yeah so like if you are um yeah they'll be stuck they'll be stuck <laughs> yeah and then you'll be like dragging your lifeline up with your stitch marker i've, d I've definitely done that before oh, no. yeah well um, then if you do it accidentally just leave it there yeah <laughs> yeah just get some more stitch markers uh -huh. yeah <laughs> and then when yeah. you pull the lifeline out you can pull the stitch mm -hmm. markers out <laughs> yep exactly oh, or man. you can also um you can cut the lifeline and retie it outside of the stitch marker too but yes speaking from experience having had done that before <laughs> <laughs> um cool yeah well um i think that's about all i have to say about the cast on and the stitches in the first section um and i i just want to add though that looking at the shawl we have it in front of us right now mm -hmm. as we're talking um even though it has this modern shape and this modern cast on and, you know, even we're suggesting modern ways of keeping track of your lost stitches. Indeed like we lifeline. are. We are it, modern knitters. It still <laughs> looks so traditional in terms of the stitches Rachel has used and the the stitch sampler look that you'll that we've just talked about in our previous episodes of the history of knitting. And, and it has this, you know, 
it's a collection of disparate stitches, but they're all very cohesive when they're brought together. And Mm -hmm. it's just a wonderful way to practice your different traditional stitches. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks, friend. Mm -hmm. That's what I was going for. I really wanted it to look traditional, but not necessarily be made traditionally. Mm -hmm. Because while they were as efficient as they could be, they only had straight needles. They didn't have circular needles. They couldn't do this starting from the center and knitting in the round stuff Mm because they just... They couldn't really do that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's good that we have that. And uh, I just wanted to try to work it in so that it was a mix of both the modern and the traditional. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, it looks great. Oh, thanks, friend. All right. Well, that is the cast on and section one. Um, like I said before, if you haven't grabbed the pattern yet, you can get it on Ravelry. Just search Zetland, Z-E-T-L-A-N-D, and it'll come up in a search for you. And then next week, we're going to be talking about the next um, section of knitting. So grab your pattern, grab your yarn, cast on, and meet us here next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and happy, happy knitting! knitting. <laughs>for listening you can find me on Ravelry and on all the socials as Rachel Unraveled and you can find Heather on Ravelry as Heather Boyd 84 be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you found it and we'll see you next time happy knitting this show is produced and recorded by the archaeology podcast network Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno Nevada at the Reno Collective this has been a presentation of the archaeology podcast network Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.